We're in our almost year-long series, working through John, and today we start chapter 3. So already done with two chapters, where John writes, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses has lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. As David said, we're continuing in this series. We're entering into chapter 3. I'm pretty convinced that chapter 3 is one of the most important uh, chapters in the Gospel of John, uh, simply because it talks about us being born again. And so I'm going to actually mess up our schedule that we're on. And some of you, you kind of watch and you discern and you realize a pattern, and so then you grab a hold of that pattern, and the pattern of late has been that Pastor Dave has actually preached every other Sunday. Lord have mercy. All right? And he's been doing a terrific job, and I've enjoyed listening to him. I love to listen to him preach. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of shake up our pattern, so I'm just letting you know that for the next couple, two or three Sundays, I'm going to be preaching, and I'm going to camp here in chapter 3. We're just going to stay here for a little while, and we're not going to rush this particular passages uh, that are in chapter 3. Uh, so we'll look at that for a little bit, okay? So I want to talk to you about what it means to be born again. What does that actually mean to us as God's people? Um, I remember listening to a Timothy Keller's sermon. Oh, he, he preached it years and years and years ago. 
Um, but he made reference to a headstone in a graveyard in England. Um, and it happened to be uh, a vicar, a pastor there by the name of John Burridge. He had died. And uh, this is what's on his gravestone. So just listen and bear with me here for a moment. Um, it says, Here lie the earthly remains of John Burridge, late vicar of Everton. Reader, art thou born again? Question mark. No salvation without the new birth. And then it says, I was born in sin, February 1716. Remained ignorant of my fallen state until 1730. Lived proudly on faith and good works for salvation till 1754. Was admitted to Everton Vicarage, the pastor there, 1755. Get this. Fled to Jesus alone for refuge, 1756, age of 40. Fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd, 1793. Did you get it? There was a, there was a place. There was something in this man's life that shifted him. And it says he fled. In other words, he left everything he had held on to. He left everything that had seemed important and vital to him. He left everything that was seemingly safe for him, and he fled all of that. And what he fled to was Jesus alone and nothing else. And there, that's where he lived until he died. And yet, he lives because of that. That, we could stop, really. I mean, if we want to stay really simplistic here today, we could stop right there, pray and go home. All right? Because that is the, that is the crux. That is the message right there. But I'm not going to do that. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you a little ways into chapter 3 here uh, and talk about this a little bit. I wanna, uh, we've been trying in this Gospel of John to kind of put you into the storyline a bit. You know, just get you in there, let you feel around in there and know kind of what's going on and try to bring up and bring to life some of the nuances of what's in the context of this storyline that John writes because he is so different than the other Gospels, the Synoptic Three, okay? He's very different in his approach and some of the things he shares and the stories about Christ that he chooses to share with us, they're all very intentional. Not that the others are not, but they're a bit more historical and on kind of a timeline, if you will. Um, and we don't want to hold them too closely to a specific chronological order uh, because they're not always there. Uh, but John is unique, and he does some really unique things in terms of his style of writing. And if we can understand some of those without reading too much into it, we really get some amazing insight, not only into what John is trying to say and what's important to him, but really who Jesus is and what's so vital about the life of Jesus for us, okay? And so we're going to do that a little bit this morning as well. We're going to talk a little bit about this story. This is the story of Nicodemus, all right? And when we talk about Nicodemus, we're talking about a Pharisee, all right? So this is a man, 
and he has his roots sort of in the political slash religious party uh, of the time. And he, that party, by the way, the Pharisees, they go back to the intertestamental time. So somewhere between the Old Testament ending and the New Testament beginning is the Maccabees period. And back up in there is where the Pharisees sort of have their birth and their rise. And uh, they really uh, become a very powerful political slash religious group, okay? And um, their name possibly means... Uh, the separated ones, and this would sort of fit them because they always saw themselves as kind of elitist and kind of separated from everybody else, and they were very careful not to be defiled by other people who didn't adhere to the same kinds of traditions that they did. So there was some elitist kind of you know, pride about this group of people. And yet there were some great men in the, the company of the Pharisees, all right? Nicodemus being one of them, because as we get later into the Gospels, we see that Nicodemus did indeed accept Christ, and he was born again. And so he was one who was very concerned about the burial of Jesus. Along with him was also Joseph of Arathamea. He also was a Pharisee, and yet he was an open follower of Jesus Christ and was not afraid to be public uh, in some ways about his faith, all right? But there were many of the Pharisees who were very self-righteous and they were very legalistic and they were very judgmental. And so they had this kind of like an appearance like a covenant person, like someone who was really loving God and who would in turn follow Christ, all right? And the real key here is the heart. The heart is the issue. And this is what John is trying to get us to, is how important it is, the condition of one's heart, more than, say, the outward appearance, if you will, or a focus on the the external uh, conditions, all right? So the internal motivation is far more important than the external conditions or appearances of an individual. So when we talk about a new heart or a new mind or the law being written on our heart, uh, some of these things from Ezekiel even, all the way back in the Old Testament. These are things that John is trying to get at, okay? He's trying to hit at these things and kind of throw them into the think tank for us so that we start to think about them and look at them, all right? And when we talk about, uh, or we use phrases like the circumcision of the heart, these are metaphors, if you will, for something that's very personal, but it's a trust, it's a faith that is manifested in some way through obedience and through a life of gratitude. I think those are two important things that John likes to bring out, and I think that we can see, uh, and we should see in each other, all right? We should be a people who are manifesting obedience, all right? We are, we are exemplifying it. We are, we're demonstrating obedience. We don't just obey to obey, but we are examples of obedience to others that they might also follow in obedience because this is something that God not only demands of us, Um, but it is actually sort of a proof of the pudding, all right? So when you come in here and you say, I am a follower of Christ, I'm a born-again Christian, but there is not evident obedience in your life, and especially if there is evident disobedience in your life, you're going to get challenged. Somebody's going to question that, and I'm going to be one of them, all right? And it's not because I want to 
push your button or I want to judge you prematurely. I simply know that it is absolutely essential to see obedience in our walk if we are maturing in Christ. And if there is an obedience, there's a dangerous possibility that we're really not born again. And so that's an important piece for us, all right? Religious um, conser- conservative, let, let, me, let, let me rephrase this. People who are very conservative and yet very religious or even very religious and very liberal can be an ugly thing in the church. Theology needs to have a manifestation of love and of faith. And so it shouldn't be a guard of rules in either one direction or another. We don't don't live out of a a to-do list or a do-not list. We live out of an experience, a condition that is of the heart. And so we don't judge. We shouldn't judge each other. (laughs) We should not judge each other, period. But we certainly should not judge each other based on whether or not we tick off a list of do's or don'ts. All right? We need to be obedient, and we're going to challenge that day and night, that we're all walking in obedience to the light of the Scriptures as they shine on our path. But that is not a place to judge one another. We live in the tree of life. We live out of life and out of goodness, and we flourish out of that place. But we have a responsibility to one another to see that, indeed, there is a condition of the heart that evidences a change that correlates to an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somewhere in our life, there needs to be something that happens that we flee towards Jesus and we live from that point on on Jesus alone and nothing else. And so our religiosity, that kind of faith, uh, and all of those kinds of things don't anymore give evidence to who and what we are, all right? Are you following me on this? This is so super important for you and I. Not only that we know that we are born again, that we have this amazing relationship with Jesus, okay, but also that we are able to flourish with one another, that together in the body we can do this, all right? So here we have this guy, Nicodemus, who comes at night, all right? Now, this passage says that he is a leader of the Jews, all right? So obviously, he is indeed in the the Pharisees' court, and uh, he has some kind of special role there. Different translations call him a leader of the Jews or a Jewish leader or a member of the Jewish council. But uh, what that evidences to us is that he is already uh, staunchly in some type of system here, all right? And that system has moved him along, and he obviously has put a lot of stock and barrel in the system that he is in. And do we not do this? You know, do we not find or create or or cultivate some type of system that maybe it may have come from from a a base of theology, but it may have come from just some family traditions, or or it may be church traditions, uh, but it may just be grandma's theology that is just crazy. All right? But we are in a system, all right? And sometimes we are in family systems that don't allow us to get out of that system very easily. And so we live inside of whatever we've been taught is our salvation. And so here comes this man, Nicodemus. He's a religious man. 
He is uh, a man of authority. He is probably a wealthy man. He is probably um, uh, a good man on a basic level, all right? And he comes by night. Um, now, for the, for the rabbis, oftentimes they did study at night, all right? So they would gather and they would study together in the night because they believed that that was a better time based on the fact that they did not get as much interruptions in the night. They did business in the day and they studied the, 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 the law uh, and tradition at night with one another. And so here he comes at night. He may be coming at night simply because he is in that mode of inquiry. He is trying to find out things and understand things. But also it's very likely that he was coming to Jesus at night because he did not want to be seen by the other Pharisees. He did not want to be seen by others in a system. Let me ask you a question. This is really personal. Have you ever been in a system of some sort and you were acting outside of that system because you were like moved away from it or whatever? Or um, you just were in another place at a, at a particular moment and you felt the freedom to not act like the system that you normally functioned in and then all of a sudden you're acting in a new and free and, and wonderful kind of way and then all of a sudden you see someone from that system and what immediately happens some of you are laughing right now. You've been there. I've been there. All right? It's like when you're out at the pub and you're having a beer and you know it's really okay for you to have a beer and you're drinking it, but you've been in a system so long that told you you shouldn't drink beer because you're a born-again Christian, and in walks your pastor. And what do you do? You slide that glass over and you lean your elbows on the table like it doesn't belong to you. It's not associated with you. And you start talking. <laughs> I love those moments because I come over and sit down at the table <laughs> and wait you out. <laughs> Listen, this is not about law. This is not about legalism, all right? This is about you and I having an encounter with Jesus that changes our heart. And that brings about the righteous obedience that we need to have, all right? And so this guy comes by night, possibly very much not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be noticed by the current system that he's in. But it's very interesting how he approaches Jesus, and he says to him, Rabbi. And I believe it was something like that. I don't believe it... I think sometimes, I am guilty, all right, of painting a wrong picture of Nicodemus, I think, sometimes. And I've heard other pastors sort of paint this picture of this sort of like arrogant, pompous, presumptuous kind of Pharisee who's just coming in. He goes, Rabbi, like you really think you are one or something. I don't think he did that. I think this man was quite honorable. And I think he is trying to figure some things out. And what he doesn't understand is this man, Jesus. And let's give him a little credit. Have you ever found your place, yourself in a place where you didn't understand Jesus? <laughs> I sure have. And so he's trying to figure things out, and he comes by night secretively. He doesn't want to be found out, and yet he wants to know for sure and find out. And so here he is, and he's like, Rabbi means teacher. He actually honors him in, in this title, if you will. 
And, and one of the things that really bothered uh, the Jewish leaders was that this Jesus had not attended one of the rabbinical theological schools of the day, all right? He didn't go get an education beyond the synagogue in Nazareth. And so that was where he started. His ministry was out of that level of education. So he had no study of the Talmud and all of the, the, uh, the, the theological pieces behind that and all of the traditions behind that and all of that. Okay? So he comes and he says to Jesus, teacher, and he says, you've come from God. Now, I think this is probably a clause that is said very tentatively here, all right? I think Nicodemus recognizes the power of Jesus, what, what he's done in the works and the words that he's spoken and all of that and how they have uh, connected there, all right? Um, but, but here's what I want you to understand. This doesn't mean that, that Nicodemus is spiritually insightful as he should be, and it certainly doesn't mean that he's spiritually right with God. You can walk in here and you can say, Pastor, and you can even tell me that you appreciate what I preach to you. And you can tell me that this is a great church. And you can walk out of here, putting it very bluntly, die and go straight to hell. All right? Acknowledging some understanding of something spiritual is not the same as being born again. And so he's there, and he's calling him a teacher, and he's saying, I, I recognize, like, I confess to you that, that it, you have come from God. And he says that, he qualifies, he says, because someone who does what you do can't do that unless God is with him. Now, People in language, and Jagger could, could probably explain this all to you so much better than I can, um, and even Jack and, and some others who have had much more language. Um, but that's called, that, that phrase, unless God is with him there, that phrase is called a, a, a third-class conditional sentence. And what that means is it has potential reality. It's not a guarantee. But it has potential reality. And so really what Nicodemus is saying, teacher, you're from God. Because people who do the things you do and say the things you say, they can't do them unless they are from God. And it's, he's really like saying, am I right? <laughs> are, are you? You know, he, he's trying to figure this thing out. And, and, and let's give him credit there, all right? Because how many times have you tried to figure something out from Jesus? You know, how many times have you sat down and tried to figure out something that the Holy Spirit has put into your heart? Some whisper of God to you, some impression of God that you've had to act on. And you're just trying to figure this out and where it's coming from, all right? And so we all have questions, and so Nicodemus comes with his questions, and he's saying, obviously, you got to be from God because of what you do. I mean, that means that, that you came from God, right? That, tell me it's true. Tell me it's reality, all right? Don't, don't leave me here to where it's potentially, possibly, maybe true, but confirm it to me. Let me know that this is true. And Jesus just like moves in so direct and so pointed here. And he says, to, uh, he says a word, and he repeats it. He says, truly, truly, unless a man be born again, 
he'll not be able to see the kingdom of God. This is flooring to Nicodemus, and it would be to any Pharisee, because what Jesus is saying is everything that you put your anchor on is not enough. He's not saying, Nicodemus, you've done bad. He's not saying, Nicodemus, all that you've done is wrong and not good. He's simply saying, Nicodemus, I recognize all that you've done, but I want you to understand something. He said, truly, truly here, all right? And that's a, that's a, a unique statement. It, he's really, in a literal sense, saying, amen, amen, you need to understand this, all right? And, and the, the, the root of that is really that word, truly, is to be sure. In other words, to have a, have a solid certainty about it. And so really what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he's saying, all right, I want you to be sure. I want you to be really sure, all right? Under, hear me, understand me. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. See, here's the amazing thing. Nicodemus was born well into religion. He became a Pharisee. He knew the right people, and the right people knew him. He was educated in all the right places. He, he, was, he had the golden spoon in his mouth, so to speak. And so he had all of this that he, that he was bringing to the table with him. All right, He didn't throw it out on the table. Yet, okay? He, but he had it. He brought it with him. It came with the package. It's a package deal here. And so when he's talking to Jesus and he's trying to get in there to ask his questions, Jesus knows the baggage that is his package, okay, that he is bringing to the table. And that is all of this education and all of this influence and all of these associations and his network and his position and his power and his authority and even his wealth. And he's walking in with all of that. And Jesus says, let me tell you something right away. Let's be sure. Let's be sure. You need to be born again. And what Jesus just did is like, it's like this guy just went to the beach and built the most amazing complex sandcastle you've ever seen in your entire life. And Jesus just came along and said, wave, wash over it, and wash it away. Because it's sand. So what he's really saying is, Nicodemus, you're building on shaking sand and not on the rock. And what he's going to say is, I am the rock. And so that's the whole purpose of the whole dialogue is to get Nicodemus away from everything that he has put his influence and security and hope on. And that's what I'm trying to do with this sermon over the next two or three Sundays is to get you away from everything else that you have tried to put your hope or build your foundation on and to tell you that it's Jesus alone and he is the rock of your salvation. And so quit building on that sinking sand and hold on to what God has given to you. Oh, my goodness. We will need three Sundays probably for this, okay? All right. Let me, let, I'm going to ask a couple of questions, two or three, actually, through this, this little mini-series here of, of two or three Sundays. But the first thing that I want to ask you is, who is the new birth for? 
Because many people would have thought that it would not have been for Nicodemus. He was all right. He was at least certainly a good part of the way there. All right? He, he, was, he was closer than a lot of other people, maybe. Okay? All right? And, and so this is why I think Nicodemus has a lot of problem with what Jesus is saying. Well, first of all, he doesn't understand because what Jesus is saying is that you've got to be born a second time. And Nicodemus sort of thinks that he's talking in a very physical term there that, okay, how is that possible? You can't go back into your mother's womb and be born out of your mother uh, again, all right? And, and in, in his defense, some um, footnotes will tell you uh, that uh, Jesus is speaking in northern Aramaic, and uh, this man, Nicodemus, grew up in the south, and southern Aramaic has very different words than north does. Now, I'm from the south down in Georgia, and I moved to the Dakotas, in particular North Dakota, and then God graced me and allowed me to move to South Dakota so I could survive. And, and so, but I'm going to tell you, when I first came here, there were words that I said that nobody understood. And I, I, I remember saying to someone when they came into the room, can you cut off the light? And they looked at me and said, what in the world are you talking about? And I said, cut the light off, which really just meant flip the switch so the light will go out. But they had never heard this. I asked someone else, would you like to go on my car? Are on your car. And they looked at me and said, I'm not going on any car, but I'll ride with you in your car if you're driving. All right. So do you get what I'm saying? So, so from, from Southern Aramaic to, to, to Northern, it's, it's different. And so what Jesus is saying to him is very different than what he is understanding, all right? So born again in the north just simply means one's thoughts and one's habits shift at a certain point. When you're born again, there is a shift of thought and of habit. In other words, obedience begins to take root and you begin to change and you're renewed when you're born again. So the mind is renewed and you act out of the renewal of the mind. That makes perfect sense if you're from the north. If you're from the south, you're still scratching your head going, what in the world does he mean? You can't be born again. You can't go back into your mother's womb and start all over. All right? And so, so we have this little bit of confusion here. But that's okay. John isn't focusing so much on that. But it helps you to understand why this man Nicodemus would sort of come back to Jesus this way. But Jesus knows this and understands this, and he's still setting things up because he's helping him to understand that you, until this happens, this, this experience of being born again, you will not be able to see the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 5, a little further over, he actually says you cannot enter the kingdom of God, of God. So actually, Jesus is careful here in a moment. He's like sort of like giving him a wave of this idea, and then he gives him another wave of this idea. He says, at first, well, you won't be able to see it. And then he goes, but actually, you won't be able to enter it. But that's even more critical, and that's even more devastating for this man, Nicodemus, because now he is on the out. The one man who was in the one in group the in-group that's more than any other in-group, the Pharisees, is now on the out. 
Jesus just has a way of turning the whole world upside down and doing crazy stuff. And he did exactly that one more time. He turned this man's world completely upside down and on his head. And he's telling him, everything you have done will not do what you need. And then the bombshells are going to come as we go into this further. Okay, so now, in the last few minutes here, let's talk about who this new birth is for. And then we'll pick up next week from there, all right? Now, as Americans, we have phrases, all right? Um, I love um, Tim Keller's approach to this. He talks a lot about this in his teachings on the, on the new birth. Um, but he points out that a lot of times we are people of phrases, all right, Americans in particular, okay? And so he says that when we talk about things like being born again, or we might say, I'm born again, all right? Or we may make reference to those that are born again Christians, or we just use the term born again, all right? We immediately type people. We immediately see people typed to a certain way when we do this, all right? And so as Americans, we might think certain things about a person who says they are born again, all right? So a lot of Americans would probably say, oh, well, you're the emotional type. If you're born again, you're a bit emotional, all right? You're the kind of person that wants an emotional experience, all right? You want to wave your hands a little bit. You want to cry a little bit. You know, you want to close your eyes when you sing a hymn. Um, So you're okay. You're one of those born again types. I get it, all right? So that might be what you find, all right? Others might say, well, born again types of people are people who have had a very broken, messed up life. And so they need some kind of experience. They need some kind of moment, some historical marker for themselves that helps them to know that they have had a change, all right? And so what they need because they're so broken is that they need some kind of moral structure because they've either been a drug addict or an alcoholic or uh, a sex addict or whatever, all right? And so they need this moral structure. So for some people who've had broken lives, you might need to be born again so you have structure. That's what some people might say, all right? And then another way that some Americans might say this is they say, oh, yeah, born-again types. They're the knee-jerk conservatives. Doesn't even have anything to do with faith. They're just conservative about everything, all right? They just make conservative decisions, and they make conservative choices, all right? And so generally when people talk in America about this term born again, they're thinking of a type of person or a kind of person, and Jesus is not doing this at all, all right? Our text that David read to you absolutely undermines this idea of a type of people, especially in some derogatory or negative kind of uh, suggestion, all right? So, so first of all, by, by just giving us Nicodemus, he, he's saying, um, who is Nicodemus, all right? Or maybe you're saying that, all right? Um, uh, well, first of all, as we said, he's this member of this Sanhedrin. He's a member of the Pharisees. I mean, not the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. He's a member of, of the Pharisees, and, and he is probably wealthy, and he's probably successful, and he's probably got a pretty structured life, and he's probably got a pretty ordered life, and he's probably got things down and a good routine, and he does things the same way every day all the time. All right? Now, what that tells me is that Nicodemus is not an emotional man. 
Nicodemus didn't come, oh, Jesus, you got to help me. I'm all confused and I'm all messed up. He came with understanding, saying, hey, you've got to be from God because of all the things that you've done. So can you just verify? Can you tell me this? Can you help me to understand this? All right? Here's the second thing I want you to understand. Nicodemus didn't come broken. Nicodemus is full of success. As a Pharisee, he didn't need any moral structure, folks. He had it. He had the ultimate moral structure guiding him along the way, all right? So he was the epitome of moral authority and structure of his day. So this is not a man coming who is broken. This is not someone who is very needy in some way, okay? And then I want you to understand, like, those people who say born-again people are just sort of uh, reactionary conservatives, all right? Um, listen, look at this guy. This guy is coming to Jesus. He's giving him honor. He's being careful. He's following protocol. He's following tradition. He's being an honorable man here, all right? And he's coming to Jesus. Now, understand this, all right? You, you got to understand this. And maybe you do, but let me make sure we understand it, all right? Pharisee, pedigree, title, confidence, religion, authority, all of these things. All of that is coming from the reality that this is a learned and educated man who has walked in a tradition and has lived inside of a system and a structure. Now, we are not against education. We are not against systems. We are not against structure. We need all of that. We all desperately need that very much. And to lose that would be the detriment of all of us. Okay, so that's not where we're going here, okay? But all of this that he could rely on, and he comes to this man and calls him teacher and humbly sort of interrogates him, and this is Jesus. No pedigree, no real education, a carpenter's son, in the eyes of many, a bastard child. Not a lot of anything. And so he comes in, and he meets with him. All right, this guy is no knee-jerk anything. Nicodemus is coming as probably one of the, the best of the best in the religious circles of his day. And Jesus says, it ain't going to work. You, you don't have it. And unless you get it, you'll not be able to see even the kingdom of God, much less enter the kingdom of God. All right? Now, We take that moment then and we say that the way Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus, all right, this new birth, this idea of being born again, is a challenge to his morality and his religion. He's saying, you've got all the morality and you've got all the religion in the world, Nicodemus, and you still need to be born again. And I'm going to tell you what, you can come in here and you can tell me just how good you are, and it won't matter if you don't know Jesus. You can tell me your religious pedigree all day long, but it won't matter if you don't know Jesus, all right? There has to be some type of encounter. Now, I am not of the position, and I don't think you should be either, and I hope you're not, 
that there has to be for every single person a moment in time where you can exactly name a day of the year in a particular week of a particular month and look at the clock and have a particular time in the a.m. or the p.m. where you actually got down on your knees and you asked Jesus into your heart and therefore you became a Christian. And that's the way you know. I would imagine that the majority of you don't have that experience, and there's been an occasion where it's bothered you that you didn't, especially if someone else stood up and boasted about the fact that they did. We're in no way denying that their moment was real or right and good. It was, it is, it always will be. It's an eternal moment, and it's heavenly, and it's powerful, and they can hold on to that. I don't have that. but I have a life. I have a life. I have a birth certificate (laughs) that says I was born in Miller County in Colquitt, Georgia in 1954. Don't do the math, all right? (laughs) It tells who my daddy was and who my mama was. And I was born in a welfare office in a county facility to a daddy who only had a ninth grade education and a mama who very much loved me deeply and wanted to do the best she could for me. And so she worked every day of her life, all of my life growing up. I was born into that family. That's my family. That's my system. It ain't all good. But it ain't all bad. All right? But that's, that's mine. That's what I have to hold on to. And I, I think maybe twice in my life I've needed that birth certificate. <laughs> and I had to show it to somebody. You know? And every t- both times I remember taking it and like laughing to myself a little bit because I think strange things sometimes. And I'm like, you know, it's funny that I have to show them that I've been born. Like, here I am. It just doesn't make sense, you know? (laughs) But okay, if you need it, here it is. And I get it. For certain legal reasons, someone has to to prove that I am who I am, and that has to be me, and that I was born, you know? And so I, I, I did that. But listen, that birth certificate isn't about me being born and who I am. I am about that. Who I am today And who I know as as my Lord and my Savior. And I don't have that moment where I can write down on a piece of paper a date and a time. But I have a life. And just like living and breathing and walking in and turning in that birth certificate makes that person know that I was indeed born. All right? My life now that I am living out of obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ is the evidence, the fruit that I have been born again. And so whether you have a moment or you have a sheet of paper, I don't care. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. You have to give your heart to Jesus. 
You have to be able to say, you know what, Jesus? I lay down my authority. I lay down my system. I give up my false hopes. I put it all behind me. And this one thing I do, I press to you. In other words, I flee to you. I run to you, leaving everything behind me that doesn't matter and can't save me. And I rest only in you. And there is where I have my life. That's, what's, that's what it is, folks. And that's where we're going to land today, all right? Where are you? This is what God said to Adam when he had sinned and fallen. And once again, God, God didn't stop his routine. God came in, in, the, in the cool of the day in the garden to find Adam and Eve because he wanted to have fellowship with them. And he did it every single day. And so he comes again. He knew Adam had fallen. He knew Eve had fallen. There was no doubt about it. The whole cosmos was shaken by this, this act, all right? And so Jesus is coming, and he comes in the cool of the day, just as he always did, the unchangeable heavenly Father. And he comes in, and he's like, Adam, where are you? Don't you know the um omnipotent God, omniscient God, omnipresent God knew exactly where Adam was physically, geographically. I mean, think about it. God's the only one who will never, ever need a GPS. And so he knew where he was. He wanted Adam to think about where he was in his heart. Adam, where have you gone? Adam, what have you done? Adam, where are you? And of course, Adam started to make excuses. But what I want you to see is not that piece of the story, but that Jesus came back just as he had always come. And he never fails to come. He's always faithful. And so even though Adam had, fall, had fell, he came. And he wanted Adam to understand. Nicodemus wanted to understand but not really. He wanted to be told he was okay. And isn't that what we all want? We just want to be told we're all right and we're okay. But Jesus had to say the hard thing and say, Nicodemus, no, no, understand, understand. Unless you're born again, you'll not see, much less enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it's a good question. And the Holy Spirit, I think, is asking us the same question. Where are we? And if you've never been there, you can be there today. You can come down here in a few minutes and talk to someone and pray with someone, and they will help you pray through this. You can reach to someone beside you, a brother or a sister in Christ, and they can pray with you. You can do it all by yourself. You're big enough, and the Holy Spirit is certainly great enough, and God is surely big enough. All right? But what I'm saying is, look at your heart right now. Where are you? Where are you? Because I think the Holy Spirit wants to ask you that very question this morning. And if you've been in this a long time and you've built up a system and you thought it was good and it just got shattered this morning, don't be angry with me. Just be grateful to the Holy Spirit that your eyes have been opened and you can see beyond the deception and you can know that, hey, I was putting my trust in crazy things and now I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and come on in. There is no condemnation, all right? And if you're that person and you're just saying, hey, I know I'm saved 
yeah, I don't have a date either. Or maybe you have a date, but you know that, hey, you know what? Even though I know Jesus is the answer and I know I'm born again, I have been putting my hope on other things. I've been trying to let other things give me security, and I know that's wrong and that's idolatry, and I need to stop that. I need to get out of that place, and I need to flee to Jesus. Then let's do that, all right? Let's do that. You want to come and talk to us for a minute, or do you want me to end this? I'm good. All right, I want the praise team to come up here and get ready. What I would like to do then is I'd just like to pray over you, okay? And, and after I pray over you, I'm just going to take a moment to pause and just let the Holy Spirit speak life into you. And hopefully that life may contain a shift, all right? It, it may contain a movement for you in a direction. And if it does, what I want to encourage you to do is to answer that shift, all right? Embrace it. Like, grab a hold of it and let it take hold of your life. And if you, if you would like to just make a, like a, a public confession of that or you want to just come up and let someone pray for you, I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up here as the song, song starts. And we're, 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 we're here. We're here just to pray for you. Don't, don't risk not knowing. If there's, a, if there's a single iota of a doubt in your mind, just come on up here and let's pray, all right? Let's, let's just let's get on a solid place right now, Lord. Let's, let's be on the rock with the Lord right now, okay? And let's, let's not have to question. Let's not let the enemy have a foothold in to intimidate us or, or try, to, try to convince us otherwise, all right? He's a sure foundation, and that's what we build on. And so wherever you are, if you want to just come up and for a minute or two pray up here and just stand up here and say, I'm going to make a public confession, a display, if you will, of my faith today. And for a moment, I'm just going to renew this relationship, uh, reboot this relationship, or just start this relationship. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Oh, we love you so much. You've given so much through Christ. And I pray, God, that we will open the door of our heart to you, Lord, so that you can open the door of your kingdom to us, Father. I pray, God, for every heart in this room to be captured by the blood of Jesus, the power of the resurrection, and the revelations of the Holy Spirit of you, Jesus, and you alone. Father, where we have put our hope in anything else in this earth realm, would you just demolish that in the name of Jesus? And would you just remove it from us, Lord? And by faith, we come to you today, Lord, believing that you, Jesus, alone and no other is the only answer for us to be saved. And so, God, we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.